Warning. This podcast may contain adult themes and inappropriate language not suitable for the kids. You've been warned. EFTM. Tech. Cars. Lifestyle. This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long, Chris Bowen and Jeff Cotramani. Episode 6 of the EFTM podcast. Trevor along with you from EFTM.com, joined in the great city of churches, Adelaide, by Chris Bowen. How are you, buddy? Yeah, coming to you live from the palatial suite here at the Adelaide Hilton. What a beautiful vista we have. The city of churches, they call it, and I can see a church right out the window. The bells are ringing on the hour, every hour. Oh, Trevor, it's great to be here with you. You know the best part about being here? What? Jeff's not here. I know. We've had a good four days away from Jeff. We've been in regular contact via the usual means, WhatsApp and social media. But I'll tell you what, I've really enjoyed it. But I was just saying to you before, it's really increased my awareness being away from him of just what an imbecile he actually is. Because <laughs> we've watched him from afar. And sometimes when you're up close and personal with someone, you miss certain details because, you know, he's one of those blokes who can sort of confuse you with his facial expressions and just the way he looks. But when you're, as I said, afar and away from him, you just you just, you just just pick up vibes that you wouldn't normally discover. There, there is a saying, um, uh, something about something, distance makes the heart grow fonder. That is not true. I can guarantee that. This is the FTM Podcast. So, Bowen, kick it off for me, uh, buddy, with quite a revelation in your mind, the Kia Stinger. Yeah, look, I had a chance to drive the um, Kia Stinger, much-anticipated vehicle that arrived in the country recently. It's been around for a little while now. Lots of reviews out there, but we got our hand on the base model, the 200S. It's a $45,000 vehicle before on roads. Two-cylinder, four-cylinder turbo, uh, 180 kilowatts of power. So we miss out. Two litre. Two litre, we miss out at this point on trying out the, the V6, which is the twin turbo, 272 kilowatts, like it's a flyer, zero to 100 under five seconds. But this has given me an indication of what we can expect. As a foundation, I think that the the uh, what's known as the 200S really, um, it, it's it's immaculate for a Korean car. It's, it's something that was quite unexpected for me. Um, it's based on the Genesis G70, which is an offshoot, of course, of their parent brand, Hyundai. So completely different underpinnings that we're used to. Which is which is to correct ourselves from a few weeks ago. When I said I drove the Optima, I loved it. Um, it looks kind of similar to the to the Stinger. Is it just the same platform? And we kind of went, maybe it is. So it's, it's, it's a completely different platform to the Optima, which is kind of obvious because it's a rear-wheel drive. And is the rear-wheel drive factor the most important thing about the Stinger? Well, I think that, that what's, that's what really adds to the performance credentials that this thing obviously has within it. And let me tell you, the two-litre four-cylinder is no slouch. It'll dash to 100 k's an hour in six seconds. It's pretty quick. You know, um, a couple of years ago, seven seconds was con- considered quick. Yeah, you know, 10 years ago, eight seconds was very quick for even a V8. But look, it's got a vastly improved interior, unlike anything before I've Holds seen. Like like Genesis level interior too. That's the big difference for me. Sitting and I only sat in it for five seconds, but the the interior, all the buttons, all the knobs, all the things, they're they're a higher quality overall. That's it. And and look, it drives well as well. Look, what they've done, Kia, is employ people from Audi and BMW. Audi in terms of the design, BMW in terms of the handling. And that's obvious. It has the perfect driving position. Um, the throttle response is sharp. Um, the rear-wheel drive aspect, obviously, 
it, it, it just gives that inherent fun factor. Um, even with the four-cylinder, as I said, it's just perfectly well-balanced. It's a stiff ride, I'll say that. Compared to the Optima, which is very plush and comfortable, this is a firmer ride, but it does have that sporting bent, which is uh, so that would be a deliberate thing, despite the local tuning um, program key you have here in the country. So the stiff ride is to make it more of a sport. Because if you made uh, a car like this a softer ride, it would get criticised by people who are trying to compare it to the, you know, Commodore S, you know, let alone SS when we get to the, the V6, V6 Stinger. So it had to be stiff as a ride, but tail out very possible. Oh, yeah, definitely, 100%. And, mate, they're, they're confident so much in this car. They've actually got launch control on the four-cylinder, the base model, where you, you put your foot on the brake and uh, uh, apply the throttle and let go after four seconds. So it gives you that incredible instant burst of acceleration. Um, I, I, look, I love it. Design-wise, uh, I wouldn't say it polarises people at all. It's turned a lot of heads. The most number of heads turned since I drove the Mustang when it was launched. You obviously have a different... Because you do spend a lot of time looking out the window seeing who's looking at you. No, well, this is <laughs> happening in... Yeah, I do, but this is happening in car parks, uh, petrol stations. People come up and ask, what's that? Jeez, it's, it looks amazing. It's that new style of vehicle which has sort of crept into the marketplace in recent years. It's sort of like a hatchback. It's a fastback or a sportback, almost like a hatchback um, mixed with a station wagon. Yeah, from the outside, you could confuse it for being a, a sedan with a, a, a long swooping rear window. You could also confuse it for being a, a station wagon with a really low cut roof. But and it, but it's the same style, this fastback hatch style, because the whole the boot opens up, up the rear window as the Opel Insignia, the new Commodore, isn't it? Absolutely, exactly the same style as the Commodore, and I think it, it's got better looks than the Commodore. I've got to say, um, front on, so aggressive looking. It's got these uh, you know little nostrils in the bonnet, albeit they're fake. Um, you got little side air vents on the side fenders. From a side on point of view. It looks like a really sophisticated, classy car, as good as any Audi or Mercedes or BMW you'll find. And I think about the 4 Series Coupe, that it just looks great. But it's the perception of quality. Sure, it's not as good as a $100,000-plus car. There's no doubt about that. The interior is no match. But for a $45,000 car, ignoring the brand, it's Kia, it's a real surprise packet. And I think it will be the Mustang equivalent for Kia. So for 2018, this thing will selling hot numbers, you reckon? I think so. I think it's going to win a stack of awards. People, when they get hold of this V6, I can only imagine how that drives um, based on what I've already been through. It's as quick as hell, under five seconds. That puts it in a very fast club. And that's on 91 octane fuel. I mean, so it's actually capable of a little bit quicker than that. So performance-wise, it's filling a void left by the demise of uh, the SS Commodore, for example, which it would incidentally beat um, from a standing start. So, look, time will tell. Uh, it, it will definitely sell in huge numbers, but it's just a matter of swaying those diehards. 45 grand for the base model. What's the V6 going to set you back? Yeah, look, you can work your way up the range. There's about six models. In, well, there are six models in total. Once you get to the top of the range, the GT, you'd be looking at, at maybe a tick over 60 grand after on roads, which is expensive for a care. And even the base model's a little expensive. I mean, that compares to like a Commodore SS. Yeah, it does. But the base model also is probably, well, it's definitely more expensive than a base Commodore, yes, yes. you know, which we go on about the size of the, the well, the, the, the sport back. It, it appears to have a large boot, but it, in, in terms of depth, it's very long. But in terms of width, it actually struggles. I couldn't fit our pram in it, for example, that fits in our Toyota Camry hybrid. And that's got a boot which is severely impacted upon by the hydro battery. So it's got some shortcomings there in the design. Um, but look, it's hard to fault. It's a, for a Kia, I've given it the distinction EFTM rubber um, stamp of approval. It's not the best car out there. The European brands do it better. 
better, but they're far, far more expensive. So you've got to think about it from that perspective. I personally think it's fucking ugly. Um, <laughs> but that's you say it's not polarizing. It's probably not, but I just don't. I, there's something about the look I don't like. But sitting inside, it does have Apple CarPlay. I'm assuming Android Auto. So, you know, tech-wise, um, the, the console, the uh, instrument cluster is still analog. Still analog on the base, but you end up getting a seven-inch uh, full color screen uh, instrument cluster when you work your way out just to the second model, for example. So that's fantastic. Um, it, it does miss out on autonomous emergency braking at that lower level and things like radar cruise control, but you expect to pay extra for those things anyway. I mean, they, they are really yet, those sorts of features uh, are really yet to creep into most base models anyway. Love your thoughts. Uh, check out Bowen's uh, review of the base model, Kia Stinger, at EFTM.com. Tell us what you think of the the, the look of it. Uh, EFTM is our, uh, our our handle on uh, Twitter. You can jump on the Facebook page as well, EFTM Online. Or you can send us a voice bite, download voice bite, the app, and send a 15-second bit of audio either bagging Bowen's thoughts or uh, agreeing with him. Uh, hashtag EFTM. What about the weather's about to turn here in Adelaide? There's going to be a big storm. There's a, a hail warning, severe thunderstorm. You know what? We're all cosy here. It's such a departure from the man cave, Trev. And Jeff's not here as well. <laughs> We're in heaven. This is the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Now, while you've been away, I've noticed you spend a lot of time uh, monitoring your smart home or your wife, um, you know, logging into the cameras and things like that. So a couple of weeks ago, probably three weeks ago, I don't think we mentioned on the podcast, but certainly at EFTM we talked about the launch of the new Swan uh, wire-free home security cameras. Now, Swan's a big name in home security, right? They've, they've had all the cameras for over the years. But I reckon they were blindsided by Netgear bringing Arlo into market, and Netgear have huge market share because they have these wire-free, and we've both got them, the Arlo cameras. So I... I, I said this one, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. And, mate, it's an interesting thing because the, the camera is, I think, 269 So it's under $300 for a single camera. Now, that's a couple of hundred dollars cheaper than buying into the Arlo package. So the reason I want to toss this about with you is because I want to understand from you the features about the Arlo that you use most because I wonder whether they are features that the Swan does or doesn't have. So, for example, the Swan doesn't have a base station. So there's no alarm. Now, you don't have the base station with an alarm anyway. That's only on the pros. Um, you've got the original Arlo's, which, frankly, in my mind, this is head-to-head with. I did a video test, and it's up at EFTM, comparing the motion detection of the Arlo Pro and this new Swan, and the Swan would miss stuff, like miss people walking in front of them. What are the key things you use in the Arlo um, camera system? First of all, it's as a, it's very important to keep track of your wife, particularly when you're batting way above your average and you're away yeah, for an extended yeah. period. Just make sure someone doesn't come around and mow the lawn. Um, look, the Allo system's great. Um, it does have the base station, and I've, as you said, I've got the the entry level um, or the original version of it. Features I use most, ah, mate. Uh, Motion detection on schedule. I never have it on when I'm at home. So when I'm away um, and something unusual has happened, I'll give you one example. The other day, uh, the side gate was open for some inexplicable reason. I left it open and it blew um, open in the wind. And so immediately you think, hang on, someone's gone through the front gate and and I hadn't padlocked it. So I could quickly go back and check if it had recorded any motion between set hour and the hour I got home. Nothing had been recorded and, and nothing had been picked up by the backyard camera. So you just assume, first of all, no one had gotten to your back 
backyard, and that was yeah. simply the case. So, look, that's the only reason I use it. I, all my cameras are outside. None of them are indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, the only drawback with the Arlo is that they, they use those very expensive camera-style batteries, the CR123s, which you need to replace every couple of months. And then you're looking at 80 bucks to replace you know, four cameras worth of, of batteries. So, look, I, I don't use it heavily. Um, the only Arlo product I do use heavily is the baby Arlo, the monitor, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to be honest. So it's interesting because what I did, I – I had my Arlo Pro that's right next to where I put the Swan on the solar panel, so it's constantly charged. But I disconnected the solar panel, and I plugged the Swan, put the Swan next to it. Two things massively wrong with with the Swan. Firstly, I hung it upside down, um, pointing at the driveway, and you can't flip the view around. Like you can't invert it. Like, that's just crazy. And secondly, I wanted to check the battery. Now, after a couple of days, it was you know a percentage different or so. But after two weeks. The Swan was down to 32% and the Arlo's still at something like 80. The, the details are in the review. But now, you don't have to buy new batteries for the Swan. It's rechargeable. But I, I don't know about you, but when when my batteries go flat on the Arlo, I've got a couple of the original Arlo still. Mate, it could be weeks before I replace them. Don't you reckon? Mate, that's exactly what happens to me. I mean, you, you not weeks necessarily, but you wait – a week or two, you know, because they're actually hard to track down, and it's actually better to order them online because you get yeah. a better deal. And it's a, it's a pain. It's a pain that happens every couple of months. So then you've got this two week period where you've invested in these cameras that you're actually not recording anything that could potentially be suspicious around your property, which defeats the purpose of having them. So the bonus of the Swan is that you just pull it off the the mount and plug it into your normal charger, you know, your mobile phone style charger, and charge it up for an hour or three, and you're done. Put it back. Um, I, I just think that in in a world where we're moving towards longer battery life. The Arlo smashes it on battery life, smashes it on – the Arlo Pros I'm talking about is what I compared it to – smashes it on image quality. In fact, the Swan is 1080 image quality, whereas the Arlo is 720. But if you look at the video at EFTM, there's a moment where Jackson walks out in his baseball gear and he's walking past the Mazda and he looks up at the cameras and, and smiles because he knows they're there. And in the 1080 Swan, you, like his face is just a big pixelated blur. But in the Arlo, even though it's smaller, you can, you can clearly make out who it is. So – I think it's important people don't get, uh, I guess, uh, buoyed by the the specs of a product because 1080 doesn't mean it's actually going to be better. You know the big difference between all of these cameras, and we've tried all of them, and if I'm going to recommend one, it would be anything from Nest. I think they're fantastic. Uh, by the way, does it have a cloud service? Um, the, 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 the Swan does for seven days cloud and local, um, and the subscription is to get more for longer. But the difference between all these systems that you can install yourself as opposed to professional systems is you start zooming in and looking for minute details, such as a license plate. Something, say something happened yeah, yeah, yeah. and something happened at the front of your house, and you want to go and look at someone's license plate. None of these cameras can pick up a license plate mm-hmm. once you zoom in. So that's where, look, they're sort of the fast food version of um, security cameras and, and they're not for sophisticated setups. If you're really, really concerned about your personal yeah. safety, you'd be employing someone to do it professionally. Yeah, yeah. And the last thing I'd say is for someone like you who knows you've got the first gen Arlo and thinking, what do I do for quality and everything? I think we need to wait till January because the Arlo Pro 2 comes out, that's going to be 1080. I think you're right. Image quality needs to needs to be upped big time. But I think whenever things happen at my home, like who the hell was that? We did have an occasion where there was someone just randomly knocking on the door late at night. Well, I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Before I call the cops, like, is there someone we know? So you've got to be careful with that stuff. It wasn't Jeff, was it? <laughs> <laughs> you creep. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. With Trevor Long, Chris Bowen, and Jeff Contramani. EFTM.
Uh, we do it all thanks to good people at Alcatel. And uh, one of the products that Alcatel launched recently is their new Plus 12 uh, tablet. This is a $558 Windows tablet. So um, I had a call on the radio the other night asking for a new uh, new computer. They said, I've got a desktop computer we need to replace it. I said, what do you do with it? He said, oh, I just use email, Facebook, um, you know, basically the internet. And I said, do you know what, mate? Just get yourself a tablet, something like this, because for 550 bucks, let alone certainly under a thousand for a laptop, this thing will do everything you need. So if you've got internet at home, Wi-Fi, then anyone of any age can simply have a product like this, the Alcatel Plus 12 tablet available at Vodafone, and you've got Windows computer, you've got internet, you've got everything you need. It's just not going to be great for gaming and video editing and things like that. So there are affordable devices out there running Windows that you can get. Check it out at EFTM, the Alcatel Plus 12. Trevor, this week, um, there's a lot of stupid news out there, a lot of fake news if you listen to the President of the United States. But look, something really concerned me, and it set the internet on fire, the interwebs, as some people would say, and it's about straws, a relatively innate piece of material. How can straws set the internet a lot? Well, I wondered it when I read the story, but I, I, look, I knew it'd be something that would immediately divert your attention away from Jeff Quattromani for just a minute or so and your campaign against him. It's about how many holes does a straw have? Now, before I go any further, this all started online with a, a couple of blokes who posted a video of themselves arguing about how many holes does a straw have? Now, for me, the answer is common sense. But for the wider public at large, it seems that there's a great division amongst the community as to the answer. Well, hang on. What do you mean it's common sense? It's it, Of course it's common sense. The answer is two. Yeah. Look, um. Uh, that's the easy answer. And usually when it comes to this sort of cryptic thing, it's the opposite to the easy answer. I firmly believe, and I think the majority majority believe when you think about it logically, that there's simply one hole. There's oh, one what? hole through a tube. It may well have two ends, but it's one common hole. Are you kidding? Well, Trevor, think about it. I mean, this doesn't require a significant amount of grey matter. You grab a straw, there's a hole at one end and there's a hole at the other. It's a pipe. It has one hole. If there was any more than one hole, it'd be leaking, you category one idiot. <laughs> I, I, okay, I hear your argument, but I suggest to you that the average Joe, I'm not going to test this with Jackson when I get home, although he'll probably think about it too much, but, mate, there's a hole at one end that you suck through and at the other end is the hole where the milkshake, in my case, comes through up into your mouth through the first hole. Okay, I'll give you an analogy. Think about the Sydney Harbour Tunnel, right? Think of it as a straw. Yeah, there's a hole at Milson's Point and there's a hole at friggin' Woolloomaloo. There are two entry points. If it was developed two holes, there'd be people in scuba dive kits in their cars. There'd be a big drama. If you ever see that movie Tunnel, it'd be very similar to that, that movie. It'd be horrific. You don't want a second hole in the straw, Trev. In fact, I've had a second hole in the straw and all you get is bubbles. <laughs> is this the blue? Well, remember that dress stupid question that came up that was like a blue and white, blue and gold dress and people thought it was white or grey or something? Is this the kind of bullshit that's actually taking up people's time on the internet? Yeah. I wonder how many people spent hours at work, A, reading it, and then B, wasting time debating it. Look, it was trending on Twitter. And in the end, who gives a shit? And it made uh, news.com and uh, various publications. Various publications in the crop. Well, the Daily Mail would have been front page with it and found some sort of erotic story to go with it. So, 
you know, they're like. But um, <laughs> maybe maybe to solve this, we should ask the people that were in the room next door last night. <laughs> I was going to say something about that producer in the US, but I better not do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Harvey. You. Oh, stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> anyway, look, I'm going to say oh, I could probably be swayed by your argument, but my gut reaction, if I was sitting a test and didn't have anyone to debate it with, my gut reaction would be to write two. Look, quite frankly, I'm sitting here looking at a church way, way, way um, away from home in Adelaide. I just don't want to have this debate with you. <laughs> Back to you. So, look, if you've got a view, I'm happy to share it. You're probably over it by now. We missed it all because we were in a car all week, and we'll talk about that in a second. But if you've got a view, EFTM, the uh, Twitter handle, uh, voice bite, uh, download it, record a message bagging me or, or um, whatever you want, or Jeff especially, uh, hashtag EFTM. Well, we, we've uh, we've gone a good 20 minutes and not actually mentioned the fact that we are in Adelaide because of our Tesla road trip. Um, but everyone knew that because they're massive uh, followers of ours. Obviously, they would have followed the whole trip online with us, uh, Glimpse, just and seen all the all that, that app, Glimpse, which allows people to follow us. By the way, glitchy, glitchy as hell. Every now and then the speed just jumps up really high. I don't know why. It's just a glitch. But anyway... We flew to <laughs> we flew to Brisbane on Monday, stupid o'clock. Had to wait around because we didn't realise the Tesla dealer didn't open, uh, and we picked up a Tesla Model X uh, with the challenge of driving to Adelaide and trying out all of their superchargers. But I don't know where to start with this because it's funny. As soon as they announced the Tesla supercharger network would run from Brisbane to Adelaide and it was complete, I said, "Let's do it," and I think we went off quite early, not thinking why. <laughs> And it only took a couple of hours in the car to ask the same question. Look, I've got to say, what is it, Thursday? We left on Monday. So we it took us three days to get here. We got here late last night on the Wednesday. Um, can I just warn you, if you ever want to do this sort of thing, don't do it in a Tesla. It's, it becomes very laborious. Um, we stopped a lot. We wanted to visit every supercharged network on the East Coast and all the new ones throughout Victoria and South Australia. We did that. Not the most interesting thing to do in life. Um, but look, it is amazing that you can go all that way without a drop of fuel uh, in an electric car. Five years ago, the thought would have been absurd. We've done it. We're the only people to ever pick up a car in Brisbane and then dump it in Adelaide and fly back home, apart from the people who hire cars, I assume. Uh, Trev, look, let's talk about... Let, let me let me just address your first your first point though about stopping a lot. I don't think we stopped any more than the average Joe would stop if they were actually doing that drive. Now I'm not sure how many people do that drive, but like I think about it as a family. And let's be clear, a lot of families make those drives because it's very expensive to fly. You know, a family of five across states. Now, if you were driving, let's just let's just hit the first leg that we did, Sydney, Brisbane to, to Newcastle. You would you would. You would not stop once. I looked at the map and I said to you, mate, uh, Brisbane to Newcastle, we'll stop at Coffs Harbour, we're done. That was stupid to think that because who's driving four hours nonstop? You, you need a piss, let alone you need someone else to drive. You need something. You, you, need, you need to stop. So with kids, I would have stopped at least twice before Coffs Harbour. With Bowen and, and the Stig, Rob, I, we stopped at Knockrow, the uh, Macadamia Castle, Great place for lunch because it was time for lunch. Then we went to Coffs Harbour and wasted 30 minutes there because it was an awful supercharger, which, by the way, is temporary. Um, then we went to the next available stop, which was Casa Grain Wines, which was, again, a bit of a waste of time. And then we then we got to the destination. So my point is 
the difference in that leg was we stopped at places we, w- we wouldn't have normally stopped because we, we didn't have anything to do. It wasn't like there was a play area for kids. It wasn't like there was a cafe for us to get coffee. There was nothing to do. We just had to wait for it to charge. That's exactly right. And look, the first thing anyone talks about with an electric vehicle is range anxiety. Yeah. And Tesla basically was such a revolution and revelation in the marketplace that the because they allegedly were eliminating that range anxiety because it does have a long range, 560Ks in the P100X model that we had. And to be honest, the whole way... I don't think we ever suffered from range anxiety. We did stop a lot. I think we were overly cautious because you're watching the battery percentage constantly like you would watch a fuel gauge, but it's just giving you a far more accurate figure. And the navigation system is also predicting how much percentage you will have left at the next supercharger. And to see that, you get a little bit cautious when you see that the next stop, which is still 300 k's away, you may have 6% battery, which doesn't seem a lot. But in the end, it actually is a lot. Yeah, and I think that was the weird thing for me um, was – I don't think while I was driving, I ever looked at the actual gauge, as in we're at 67%. I was only ever looking at the destination. So to explain to people, you put in, it's like a big Google map. You say, I want to go to Adelaide. And it says, it tells you, you've got to stop at Gundagai. You've got to stop at, at Aubrey. You've got to stop at Eurora. It tells you where to stop and at what percentage your battery will be at those stops and for how long you should charge at that stop. And you look at it and you go, okay, we're going to be at 10%. Oh, that's, you just feel nervous about it. But, mate, I, I don't. It was the last day where we realised you didn't have to be nervous about that. You just had to trust it. Trust it. If, if it said you're going to have 10% left, it's cool. Just run with it and don't be an idiot on the road. Um, the other thing is it, we talked about range. We talked about power, fuel, more than you ever would on a normal road trip. Uh, not a bad thing because it's, it's at least a topic of conversation in many ways. But also you would never have that conversation anywhere else because there's a, there's a petrol station every 50, 60 Ks, right? So the battery thing... I think the challenge for Tesla owners is you never have that conversation as a Tesla owner driving around the city. If you say to yourself, let's go to the Hunter Valley or let's drive to the Borossa, you're never worried about that because there is a, there's a charger up there or there's, we can get there and back. So it's only really on a massive road trip where you would ever come across that prediction. And so it's that first time you use it. Like if we did it again, let's say we said, let's drive to Melbourne because there's an event on it. We want to be the ones that drive a Tesla there. We wouldn't worry at all about it. We'd just drive and let it let it guide us there. Uh, you've got to know that though. I, I think that's the challenge for Tesla owners is to know that you can trust that range predictor. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's been a great exercise because we've learned a lot about Tesla and how it operates and how the battery operates. And the thing is, you know, when you get towards the end of that battery it doesn't just stop the battery doesn't just go flat and there you are sitting in the middle of the highway going nowhere it is a gradual process you receive multiple warnings it will suggest that you need to drop the speed back to achieve your end goal the next point and wherever you're going it will then eventually shut off things like air conditioning uh, it will reduce the speed you won't be able to go any faster than 50 k's an hour for example it'll eventually stop of course but you've received so many warnings and so many different steps of the process mm. that if you ignore all those you're in your, it's completely opposite to driving on the red light because that is a real hit and miss game. You've got no idea how much fuel's really left in the tank. Yeah. No one does. You get to know your car eventually, and but it's the same as the, with the Tesla. You, you understand that when it gets down to even 2 or 3%, I, I reckon that's the equivalent to 16 or 15% really. Yeah. So, you, look. Oh, I, the, the other big learning, and you just mentioned um, the, the, the idea of it, is um, knowing that freeway driving – is actually the worst thing you can be doing in a Tesla. Driving around town, you think to yourself, oh, I can get 560Ks out of this thing. 
If you get 560Ks out of your Tesla, you're going to get 400 on the freeway because going at 110 is much bigger drain on the battery than going at 80. And it actually says to you, we saw this, when we got down, one time we were predicted to get to 11% at our destination. And just normal driving, not spirited, it's, it popped down to about 6 and maybe 7. It went up and down a bit. But it actually says drive at 95 to ensure you reach your destination. So it just says drop it back a bit. That's, it's, it's interesting that the mental uh, change is it's, it's worse to drive highways because we all know that in a petrol car, driving the freeways, super good on economy. And it's also the ultimate deterrent to not speed when you're trying to really stretch its legs in terms of the battery because that will cause you issues. How'd that go for you? Yeah, we're pretty good. I, I stayed under the speed limit just about all of the time. Um, yeah, so we went to the Barossa today, for example. Now, that <laughs> involves going up a very twisty piece of road you flee and a very steep um, piece of road. Uh, but the number of times that you you know put energy back into the battery by using the regenerative brakes, and, and mind you, you don't touch the brakes that often, so aggressive is the natural sort of engine braking on it that really maintains the battery i think between adelaide and barossa we use maybe 10 percent of the battery where a similar trip on the highway would probably be 20 or 30 percent but look trev at the end of the day it's a battery powered car but it's a car first and foremost let's talk about the car yeah. itself yeah. mate well I'll t- let me talk from the back seat because I-, I did let you drive most of the way because you're a bit of a driver's driver um I had a horrible time, to be honest, in the backseat. I'm not a great backseat driver. The Stig loves to be in the front, so we let him have his place. Um, we didn't actually talk about it. It's just kind of an unwritten rule, isn't it? <laughs> just don't, 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 don't kick the Stig out of the passenger seat. Anyway, so I sat in the back, and weirdly, sitting behind the Stig in the, in the passenger seat at the back, second row, um, it, it felt like my view was massively restricted by that seat. I don't know why. It felt higher than the driver's seat for a start. And so it was actually hard to look around. Now, that's a standard backseat problem. Um, but aside from visibility, Jesus, it was it was a bit of a brutal ride. It felt, from the back seat, it felt bumpy on the highways. It felt terrible on a B road. And even on a highway that had, um, you know, like an asphalt-style coating, mate, I couldn't hear what you guys were staying at the front. It was awful. Yeah, that was that was an annoyance. I mean, we're, we're trying to have a conversation up front and, and constantly you're chiming in. What are you saying? What are you saying? I mean, he's sitting no further back than you would in any standard SUV. Uh, we did a little decibel reading uh, via just a simple app, and it was averaging around 80 decibels, which is very loud at highway speeds. I mean, you should be around the 60 to 70 decibel limit in a normal car. Look... In terms of the ride, it's the B rides where you really start to notice. Not shocking B rides, incidentally. It, it, it's a floaty car to drive, but it's also firm. It, it's a strange feeling. You feel every single rut, every single dip in the road. The pitch and the yaw and the the, the lateral movement in the cabin is just. It's very, very tedious after a long drive, I must say. So there's far, far, far more composed vehicles out there, even vehicles that are a lot, lot cheaper. This is a $211,000 vehicle, and it's the only reason why I I do criticise it for this because it's still a very extensive car, and I just feel obliged to tell people that. It it, 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 it was a punish. And let's, let's be brutal here with Tesla. Tesla don't do reviews. Like Tesla don't do anything like anyone else, right? They don't have, uh, they don't sell sales numbers. They don't give that out. They also don't really hand out cars for a week, let alone long termers. In in your game, in our game, there's there's times where you get to drive a car for a week. There's times where you get to go to a press launch and they take you on a spirited drive through the hills. And there's also times when you get to drive. You had a Pathfinder this year for a long term for several months. I had a three seventy Z. I've got a Suzuki Ignis now for a few months. You get to know a car during that period of time. Not a lot of people, and in fact, I'm prepared to say under under ten people 
in Australia, uh, motoring journos, have driven the Tesla on a freeway journey more than 1,000 kilometres. Now, there may be a few, probably wouldn't be more than 10, who've driven it from Sydney to Brisbane, mm. but there wouldn't be any that have driven it as far as we did. And I think that's the critical thing. We're not trying to brag. We're just trying to say, if you are a grand tourer, if you are someone who loves a country drive, and let's be honest, a retiree who's got good cash and has family everywhere or just wants to see the Great Ocean Road, you know, they're going to buy a BMW or a Mercedes or an Audi and then they think, oh, what's this fancy Tesla? And you're going to spend $211,000 on a Model X and get something that is mind-blowing to sit in because of that big screen and the digital display and the, the, the questions people ask about the Falcon Wing doors. But as a drive and as a passenger, it's not anywhere near as quiet or comfortable as those other cars. Yeah, look, I've found myself arguing with myself about just exactly what you can say about this car. What can you compare it to? And are you being fair? But as I say, I feel I need to say that. Well, the interior itself, um, the ergonomics and the way it's designed, it's very, very different. It's a six-car, uh, a six-seat layout. It's basically configured in a 222, so two seats up the front, two in the middle, two in the rear. And they're like these pod-style seats, something you'd see from the Millennium Falcon or something, and where the headrest is um, moulded into the rest of the seat. There's no gap or, or, you know, two stands for the headrest. Uh, so that causes an issue because there's so much space in between each seat that because of the cabin roll and when you go around corners and because of the amount of drink bottles and things that you're carrying, things fall down between these crevices and are rolling around the floor of the car constantly. You've lost a shoe. I've actually lost a shoe. Like, I lost a shoe. Now, <laughs> the shoe belonged to me and it is now gone and I assume we've searched this Tesla it's actually once you lose something it's easier to find because there's so much space under the seats yeah because you can you kneel down when the doors are open and you see all the way through the car and there's yeah. just the two poles where the seats sit on yeah. but here's the example I'm, I'm, I'm in the back seat of the car and we had we got, I got a packet of chips and, and we've been drinking water all the way and and I had a packet of chips and I scrunched it up and I put it in the in the seat pocket um, and then I got out of the car the door opened and the thing just flew away to go running after it because there's no seat pocket there this is what's happened to my shoe. Somewhere along the way to Supercharger, there's a Dunlop Volley, which is brand new, incidentally. I only got it recently, which has gone astray. And look, just we'll, I'll finish up on this. The, the, the gullwing doors, I mean, they are they draw a lot of attention. I mean, we pull up here at the Hilton Hotel and we have the valet people go and park oh, it. Yeah go and park it downstairs, there's a crowd of commuters walking past taking photos and we've had people jump in the car along the way and want to get selfies and things like that. They're great, but at the end of the day, you feel like just opening a normal bloody door rather than going through the whole rigmarole. Two big problems with the Falcon Wing doors in, in regular use. Four days is all we use it for, but regular use. One, if, you happen, if you're opening it and you happen to be standing just a bit too close to it, it won't open fully. It'll open half, so you've got to duck down underneath it. That's annoying. Secondly... Even if you're giving it all the space in the world, you press the button, mate, and, and someone bagged me for this, I don't know who it was, but it takes about three seconds to open and get in. Now, if you're running away from someone jumping in your car, they've killed you by the time you've got the door open, right? But waiting for a door to open is an unusual thing. You would normally just open the door, jump in, shut the door. And you could open a door, jump in, shut the door, get out, open the door. You could do it six times before in a normal car before your falcon wing is open and you're in it and it's shut. It's a very slow process. Yeah. A lot of annoyances, but look, remarkable you can do this. Uh, we've had a great time. I'd like to do it, 
well, I'll just rephrase that. I'd like to do it by myself oh. <laughs> in a Model S, for example, just to compare the ride. I won't be doing it anytime soon because I need to recover. It has been a long trip. We're very tired, um, and uh, it was just me and Trevor driving because the stick doesn't drive, as, as Trevor said. But look, great experience. I feel like we're pioneers in a way doing what we've done. Um, we got here. We never su- suffered a flat battery. Certainly some big drawbacks for a car that expensive. But look, remarkable tech. The supercharged stations are, are great. They're everywhere. Yeah. And um, look, the they're, they're only the, going to expand. I've written about all the supercharged stations at EFTM.com. Have a look at the photos. The the one at Keith, for example, is a beautiful example of Tesla's integration into the, I guess, into the community. Um, so is Euroa, um, uh, Goulburn. Some very nice superchargers worth looking at, folks. Uh, I've written that up. Bowen, in the next few days, will write up a, a review of the car, which will probably be the best review you'll ever read of a Tesla Model X because of the experience we've had in the car and hopefully uh, potential buyers will understand that this is this is about the, the touring capabilities of the car, not just the fancy nature of an electric car. Just before we go, one more thing. It is remarkable. Wait, to there's, s- no, there's no pips coming up. There is. <laughs> we've got to keep things tight sometimes. It is remarkable to see a supercharger station in one of these townships, and often these townships are almost ghost towns, nothing's open on a Wednesday in the middle of the day. And here is this high-tech device where there's tumbleweed almost blowing past in a remote area. So they are dead serious about yeah, shout out, Shout out to the people of Horsham. You're a pack of assholes. <laughs> um, oh, we've, we've pulled up. Now, granted, lunchtime is normally 12 o'clock for people. We've pulled up at 12, uh, 2, 2. 15. We've plugged the car in. Um, we've started walking in brutal heat to the main street, which was so far away we did 10,000 steps that day and we're sitting in a car all day. And we've walked through. The Stig is a bit of a stickler for fine food, so he's looking for the best rated place. So we walk past a couple, we knock on some doors, and the, the kitchen's closed. Kitchen closed at 2. Kitchen closed at 2.30. It's 2.32. The kitchen closed at 2.30 and it's 2.32. You can't pull out a steak. I mean, seriously, we were unable to eat. We had, I had to get bacon and egg uh, bloody bread rolls at Baker's Delight for lunch. If you showed up to the Horsham Hospital with a gunshot wound at 2.31, you'd die because they'd say it's 2.30. And it's become a catchphrase of ours on this trip. If I don't want to do something, I just go, nah, it's 2.30. 2.30, can't do it. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. The only things open were the fast food outlets. And I can't prove that they were, actually. We just <laughs> 2.30. 2.30. No, do not tip- go to Horsham if it's past 2.30. A tip, though, if you are driving from the... I guess the the Sydney side to the to the um, Adelaide side uh, through Horsham, um, there's there's outlets like Oliver's and Macca's and Hungry Jacks on the other side of town, which we didn't see obviously before we went and got Baker's Delight. Anyway, shout out to the folks of Horsham and just talk to your local pub about maybe uh, throwing on a steak or, or just telling us what they could make in a short space of time. EFTM, you're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Now, I feel it's important that we talk about a couple of very, very important issues with regarding to Quattromani. Um, he published an article this week, which I, I felt was best placed on Pedestrian Daily or one of those other lefty bullshit websites um, about share bikes. These bicycles that you uh, share. Now, sharing is a stupid word, and someone pointed this out to us on Twitter or, or, or um, Instagram or somewhere, saying that you're not actually sharing it because sharing it would be you owning it and me borrowing it. But anyway, um, I, th- I think the things are utter pollution. I was in Melbourne, and there's two or three different brands there, and they're just lying around on the footpaths. Some of them are lying around. They've got bent wheels because people have just squashed them. <clears throat> and 
Here's Jeff, who at some point's grabbed one in the city and gone for a ride to Piermont. Well, imagine that. Just imagine watching Jeff ride a bike for a start. And he's interviewed the, the bloke from this company. So it's basically he's been groomed. Um, and, and, and he's written this glowing review. His only negative thing was, do we really need four of these companies? <laughs> I mean, really, Jeff? I mean, it's sh- share bikes should be thrown out. They should all be thrown in the harbour, brought, brought back out and thrown then in recycling. It's funny because I haven't worked in the city for about eight months, so I go in there. What did you do before? I used to work in radio. Uh, good times, real good times, like spoke on commercial radio. Anyway, as opposed to podcasts, which is the new format, and I hope it takes over and we'll get square. Um, but look, I've observed it infrequently, and I have been returning to the city a bit more often recently trying to pick up gigs, and I've noticed them. And I'm astonished by the fact that you can just – pick these up from anywhere and leave them wherever you want. They they are the equivalent of the cane toad. They've invaded the city and they are a pest. And do you know where they've come from? China. Mate, I was in Shenzhen and there were thousands of these things. Now, the difference is in China, they have a cycling culture already, right? Not a lot of people are riding because A, traffic's bad or cars are expensive, whatever, but that they uh, they rely so heavily on those little barcodes called QR codes in China for everything, including paying for drinks at a vending machine, that everyone has the ability to, to, to use them. So they walk up to them, they click them open, they ride them away, they, they go back. Um, th- we are not China. We do not have a cycling economy. We we have to wear helmets. It's legal and safe. Um, there's no helmet there. People throw stealing the helmets. Throw. It's just a stupid, stupid scheme. What's happening is because you're finding them in bizarre locations, in trees, on railway lines. Like no sane person is doing that. The system would work if people weren't doing that sort of thing. I think what's happening is late at night, <clears throat> drunks. Or people affected by other substances are going, well, how good's this? We can now get home. We can get home from the nightclubs. They're like the shopping trolleys that get left everywhere. In fact, where I live, 64 kilometres away from the city in northwestern Sydney, one was cited out there recently on our local community Facebook page. So someone's obviously put that on a train and come all the way out there. So I think the system's obviously been blatantly abused. Yeah. Um, it's like littering, and that's what's going on. Yeah. I think the concept it's done much better in places like London. Yep. Uh, much, much better. Mate, I'll say to you this. I'm not anti-bike. I'm anti-share bikes that are lying around. Two examples. Melbourne already have an extensive blue share bicycle system which has bike racks in certain strategic places around the city where you hire a bike and you return a bike. New York City, Fat Trev, who couldn't give a rats about bikes, hired a bike. I downloaded an app. I gave it my credit card. I hired a bike because they're everywhere, these city bikes. I rode around, New, um, what's it called, Central Park, but then I didn't put it back where I got it from. I rode closer to my hotel and put it, and there's an app that shows you where the nearest, you know, uh, bike rack is. It even shows you whether it's full or whether there's empty bays. Mate, it can be done so much better. Bring the New York City-style bike-sharing system to any place in the world, and I'll support it. But leave it on the footpath share bikes are a load of rubbish. Poorly conceived, poorly implemented, and look, for someone like Jeff um, to pick up on this and run with it and and promote it and be groomed, as you said, I think just shows what sort of bloke we're dealing with. We're talking about a penny-farthing riding fuckwit. Mate, you, you mentioned poorly conceived. <laughs> Jeff Quattromani. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. Now, before we go, speaking of Jeff, listen, 
fellow audience members uh, and and loyal loyal fans of EFTM and and longtime supporters of me and my podcasts, mm. can I just for those of you that like to chime in and say, oh, Jeff's a nice bloke and he sounds lovely, can I just enlighten you on on his reaction to the possible news that I was gravely ill? Mm. Now I think we'll play the audio. What do you think? Should we play the audio? Oh, have we got it? Oh, oh we've got the audio. I'm, I'm, look, I'm sorry for swearing. First up, I hope I'll you beep, beep the, the worst one. of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, right. beep, I'll beep the worst of it because I think we draw the line at that word. Mm. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jeff Quattromani on speakerphone to Chris Bowen just two nights ago in Wodonga. Hello. Sorry, mate, you awake? Always. It's Bowen, not Trev. Okay. Even oh, mate, there's a bit of drama. Obviously, like I wouldn't normally ring you for Trevor's phone. Well, mate, me, he did his fucking show tonight. Me and Rob went down and had some dinner and we've come back and he fucking sweat. He's been a bit, a bit crook all day. And he'll, he's, he, we've come back and he just looked crook ass. So we went downstairs because there's no water here in a service department. So we're going to get him something from the vending machine. We took him down and he fucking fainted in the lift. So I, we've ducked up. There's a local medical center here 24 hours. So we've fucking got, we've gone in there and he's just, his heart rate's up and he's like, he's got, it's like, I shouldn't laugh, sorry. He's like fucking got chest pain and everything. So anyway, the, the long story short, he's in hospital. All right. So I'm bringing Amanda and shit. Um, I don't know what the fuck's going on. He's all right now. He's like apparently like it's not, it's funny just about a couple of years, but it's true. I'm sorry. So look, he he, he just said to call you because he he could struggle for the show obviously tomorrow. Hey, would you be uh, to, to do to do um, TUE tomorrow night? No. <laughs> this is not the time, alright? This is not the time. In fact, in fact, that just proves that you're a alright? I'm G'd you up and I don't know. <laughs> what about you? The Today Show! I'm heading you over. <laughs> I'm dealing with... Mate, it. there was no level of concern <laughs> in your voice at all. <laughs> So let's just unpack that bone. Here's a bloke that's just heard that I'm in hospital and we need him to do my radio show. His initial reaction was, oh, so not the Today Show? Look, I was only given 30 seconds notice of this prank. And to be honest, I thought I was doing quite well. Look, I was giggling, um, but I did say we had a couple of beers and and I would have been under duress and, and stress at the time. So that's how I would have handled a situation like that. For him, and he claims that he he, he saw through the myth that it was, I don't think he did. For him to come out with, so I'll be on the Today Show, as I said in that piece of audio, is an indication of the sort of person that we're dealing with. He has a personality disorder, Trevor. Oh. I can't, it doesn't have a name. It'll be called Jeffism or something in the future. Quatrawankery. Quatrawankery even. Quatrawankery. I like that. We'll start up a new one. But look. Do you reckon you, they'll get blocked by Apple if I put that yeah, in the title yeah. of the podcast? Basically, I said you had a heart attack and you may die, and I've even told your wife, and he wanted to take your job. I mean, uh, that's that's appalling. It's poor form, and it's not what we expect here at FTM. We are we are wide-enders um, with the best of them, but uh, that's 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 horrible. Let's take it to a, a, new, a new level. Jeff, you're on notice, and I expect uh, a wave of support for the Bowen and I via – uh, voice bot, hashtag EFTM, or on Twitter. Uh, tell us what you think of Jeff Quattromani and his low, low reaction to uh, my medical incident. Um, it's not good, Jeff. And um, the real, the proof will be, will he appear on episode seven?
Yeah, well, that will be the two-week hiatus. Oh, I've enjoyed it. Well, I just don't think he's doing the Italian race any favours. And <laughs> All the French. Um, there's one last thing we need to mention about Jeff for those loyal listeners. Um, we visited his vine today. It had been pissed on by rain that day pretty heavily. Um, there were some beautiful, wonderful human beings working there, and we didn't feel it appropriate to actually piss on the vine. But by God, hadn't I brewed up some other ideas um, and if there was no one there, I would have absolutely taken a dump on it just quietly. Um, the vine, that is. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm offended that Jeff took the time to put his name on a vine. But <clears throat> two things. Firstly, how rude that he didn't put EFTM on it. And secondly, ladies and gentlemen, it's no, it's no great feat. There's like a thousand million people with their names on a vine there. It's not like they, it, oh, you know what I thought it was? I thought it was, oh my God, Jeff Quattromani's here and let's give him a vine. Mate, he's gone and tasted so many wines. He's probably got pissed and he's taken his credit card and he's paid for that little thing. There's no doubt he's paid for it. It's a pay per placement uh, service. Um, you think Jeff has to pay for it regularly? <laughs> well, I was thinking about the long-term ownership of it. I mean, when this vine, which mind you is still a, piddling piece of just nothing. It's a big chance of dying, especially after what we did. It it looks sickly, much like Jeff. But when it starts to bear fruit, does he have some sort of ownership over it? I mean, will he request a bottle of the best of, you know, Quattromani Shiraz or I don't even know what sort of grape it is, to be honest. But look, I was disappointing um, that we couldn't piss on it. I I drank several litres of water in the lead up to it. Lucky they had a toilet there I could use. Um, You probably made the correct decision, Trevor, because we don't want to vandalise things. But, mate... Just the height of him. He represented EFTM on that day. St. Hugo's in Victoria, great winery, fantastic winery, right? Yeah, they brushed our award, though. We gave him an award. It wasn't in the in the yeah. foyer. That's why we took it and gave it to Jacob's Creek, which is next door, um, immediately next door. Turn left, brush St. Hugo's. EFTM. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. All righty, yeah, well, we'll be back in the EFTM studio next week. We might invite Jeff. Um, here's how it's going to play out. We'll pick a night, and if he guesses it's the right one, We'll open the door. Looking forward to it. Just one observation about Adelaide. Adelaide people look like people from Adelaide. They sort of... No, no. So what you said earlier today. No, you could just pick one. Canberra with a tan. They look like people from Canberra with a tan. All right? I'm just, it's, it's true. I don't know what they say about us, um, but... I don't want to know what they say about us. They have a look. They have a sound. But I like them. I think they're good kids. I just think it was... This is Australia 25 years ago. Yeah, I'm just going to say one other thing uh, with regards to Adelaide. Um, they're either hot or not. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of yeses. There are a lot of... So my wife doesn't get... Look, there's a lot of attractive women down here if you're listening to my wife. I'll be home tomorrow, Dale. <laughs> the EFTM podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week. Tell your friends. Teach your friends how to download a podcast. Tell them how to subscribe. Share it with your friends. Uh, leave a rating on iTunes because, hey, we deserve it. Bag Jeff heavily uh, on Instagram, EFTM, uh, Twitter, and on voice bot, uh hashtag EFTM. Uh, Bowen, look forward to flying home tomorrow and not being in a car with you. And um, we'll do it all again next week. Yeah, going home on a plane, then I get on a train and go and pick up a Kia Soul. Life's good. <laughs>